to return to the epistle to the Hebrews. We have a good bit to cover this morning. I will do my best to get through all of it. I don't intend part six, but may God help us to focus on the truth of God's word this morning as we consider the one true and living God as he has revealed himself in God's word. If you would stand with me once again, we're going to read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It is truly my hope that we next week will begin considering these four verses in their context. I do uh, urge us at least one more Sunday here, to read these four verses together. Hebrews, oh, and let me thank all of you for your prayers from Myra. Uh, I had several ask me this morning if she's in the hospital. By God's mercy, she's right there. So I'm very thankful. I could not be more delighted. We do ask your prayers. We make big decisions for her and for us. So Hebrews chapter 1, beginning verse 1 through verse 4. Let's read carefully together. By the way, if you have something other than the authorized version in front of you, should be pew Bibles that are the authorized version. You can therefore read with us. Chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us remain standing for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we have read these glorious words, these spirit-inspired words. And thou, in thy mercy, in thy grace, and in thy love to us, thou hast set the object of our worship before us. Here thou art, O God. Here thou art in thy word. May we love thee. May we love thy son. May we love thy spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come today. Fill these living stones. Fill the temple of Almighty God with thy presence and power. Save the lost. 
sanctify the saved. And we plead this in the blessed and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Let us fix our minds on that three-letter word that begins our English text. God. God. Any way that we say it, gently, thunderously, it's the most important word you've ever heard or ever will hear. God. And these are hard times for the doctrine of God. It is a tragedy to often hear and see how God is presented to those who have come to hear the word of God. We want to know this God. God is the subject of this first sentence, as well as being the first word. God, he's the one who does the action. God speaks. God is the object of our worship and obedience. Those two words are very important. God is the one who is life, who gives life, who takes life. God is the almighty creator, the uncaused cause of the universe. The sovereign ruler of all creation, the gracious redeemer of sinners. God... This God is the only God that exists. If we care and think about those statements, crucial questions should arise in our minds. Who is that God? Not any God. That God. Who and what is that God? What does the Bible reveal about that God? And do I know, worship, and obey that God? The word God appears almost 5,000 times from Genesis to Revelation. Of course, it appears sometimes with 
an uppercase G indicating the true God and sometimes with a lowercase g to indicate false gods. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, the operative word there is called, called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be, little g, God's many and Lord's many. But to us, there is but one God. There is but one God. But the point is clear. The 66 spirit-breathed books of the Bible are the revelation of the one true living God. And that revelation is awe-inspiring when we take the biblical revelation, not our imaginations, but when we take the biblical revelation of God and think deeply on it, it is truly awe-inspiring. Beyond the range of human understanding and profoundly mysterious. God is Father. God is Son. God is Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. In other words, the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, the only true and living God is triune. And that is central to understanding the letter to the Hebrews. Therefore, the triune God is our subject again today. And the biblical revelation of him should lead us back to those two words, worship and obedience. If you know God, you worship and obey him. The title of this sermon is God, part five. May God, our heavenly father, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, illuminate our hearts to the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. That would fill us with joy, wouldn't it? To know the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And the Holy Spirit, this blessed Spirit, is sent to us to reveal this to our souls. These are things we would never know, things we would never believe, even if we read them, except the Spirit of God. Speak them into the Scriptures and then into our souls. He's given us the Word. Now we need light from the Word. May He grant it today. We're going to be 
in the deep end of the pool again. Though I do pray you will be patient as we work through something completely incomprehensible. Now, very simply, one and two of our uh, outline has been covered in the last messages. <clears throat> have just an extremely brief review. Our exposition of the letter of a letter to the Hebrews has begun with a very brief introduction to the doctrine of God. Whole books this big on the doctrine of God sit on my shelf. We could spend many months, many months, and I would never be able to cover it because he's God, not a little figment of our imagination, not the running buddy that we have, but the almighty who created and rules the universe according to his will alone. That God. So this has been a very brief introduction to that glorious doctrine, which I know, at least in my own thinking, has been very uh, weakly, W-E-A-K, weakly uh, presented to you. In part one, we examine the first paragraph of our confession, which lists some of God's attributes, that is, his qualities, his characteristics that he has shown us in Scripture and in creation. But that's not all there is to God. He's not encapsulated in this book, which is finite. He is infinite. We also gave... Two messages to the second paragraph of our confession of God's external relations. He is the reigning sovereign of all creation. There are just two things. God and not God. That's, that sums up everything. God and not God. As A.W. Pink summed it up, to say that God, well, quote, to say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and earth, so that none can defeat his counsels, thwart his purpose, or resist his will. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the only potentate the King of kings and the Lord of lords, such as the God of the Bible, close quote. So that brings us to our third point. God and everything in existence is related to God because he is the creator and the unique being. God and not God. That's all there is. So now we're going to look at the fact that the one true God, that God, is triune. Is triune. This doctrine, once again, brethren, puts us on holy ground. It is the most profound and mysterious doctrine in the word of God. 
In part four of this message, we learned that the word Trinity does not exist in the Bible. But it is perfectly legitimate to speak of things that we discover or that are revealed in the Holy Word with words that are at least in harmony with what Scripture is saying. In other words, very often we find things that when we look at, we don't know what to call them. Trinity is one of those words. Millennium is another one of those words. It doesn't appear in the Word of God. The thought does. A thousand years. But it's easier to say millennium than a thousand year period every time you want to talk about it. Trinity is a term that describes the one true living God revealed in Scripture. It comes from the Latin trinitas, which means triunity. And triunity means three in oneness. Once again, easier to say trinity than three in oneness every time we talk about God. We heard from the Puritan Francis Channel, who said, quote, This question concerning the distinction of the divine nature and these three most glorious persons which subsist in it is the most difficult point in all divinity. It's an older term for theology. In all theology. And therefore, I humbly beg the assistance of all these glorious persons that I may conceive and write judiciously and reverently of this profound and glorious mystery of the faith. Close quote. And I too humbly beg the same divine assistance, not only for me as I attempt to, attempt to speak of these things, but to each of you as you hear that you might discern and at least get glimmers of light from this extraordinary doctrine. It's not just about a doctrine. God is not a doctrine. He is the most awesome in the best and biggest sense of the word. He is the most awesome being. In the universe. Nothing else compares. No one else. Compares. As King David said. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. I mean all I have to do is. As I did last week. Just bring up one word. And all of us. Don't get it. Infinite. Finite minds cannot understand infinite. We know it's big. Keeps going. But our minds cannot capture infinite. Why? Because everything in this world begins and ends. Everything. Life, marriage, churches... Flowers, trees, 
Life appears, life disappears. That's the world we live in all the time. We don't know anything infinite. We have nothing by which to compare it. Our minds can't grasp it. Now, in the foreword of one book I consulted, the author said that one of his friends who attended a meeting for scholars of the early church was shocked to hear this opening to the meeting. Quote, Today we celebrate our belief that God is one in nature, subsisting eternally in the three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't know how to explain this or even to say exactly what it means. So let us instead try to love one another. Close quote. Can't get God, so let's just kind of try to love one another. We know he told us to do that. These are men that study these matters in great detail. So, we certainly ought to give ourselves to loving one another today, but we should also give ourselves to bowing and submitting our minds to the revelation of the God we say we worship. So this is where we left off. God is three subsistences and one essence. God is three subsistences or persons and one essence, spirit. As we take up this glorious, majestic, breathtaking but incomprehensible mystery. It is essential for us to understand three things. We need to think about these three things. Might even be good discussion around the lunch table today or in the afternoon with others or in meditation before God, before you go to bed. Three things. Number one, the Bible is the unified story of God's self-revelation. The Bible, 66 books, the Bible is the unified story of God's self-revelation. It is a self-revelation within the universe he created, the salvation of sinners that he purposed, and the eternity of the kingdom that he established. Number two, the Bible does not explain God. It reveals God. Say that again. It's late enough in the morning that some of this should at least penetrate a little. The, God does not, uh, the Bible does not explain God. It just reveals him. 
<clears throat> preachers and teachers may feebly attempt to explain God's self-revelation in Scripture, but our best attempts will fall short of the reality. We can say what's true, but we can't capture it all. We can't even express some things other than in words that once we've said them, generally leave the hearers with kind of a puzzled look on their face. Why? I will say this throughout the sermon. Because it's your God. Because it's your God. You believe that you worship God. So it's important for us to see something of this revelation so that we might more clearly and more sincerely bow and magnify him. Not too many people think about bowing to God anymore because we don't have much respect or even mental grasp of his greatness. Number three, the Bible reveals God's triunity as a mystery. Do all three of these again. The Bible is the unified story of God's self-revelation. Number two, the Bible does not explain God. It reveals God. We'll put a footnote there. Occasionally, God explains why he does something, but not everything. And he's not obliged to. His universe, his purpose. He reveals what he wills. And it's always good, wise, and perfect. And number three, the Bible reveals God's triunity as a mystery. Now, this is important. By the word mystery, the Bible does not mean something that is difficult or impossible to understand. That's the way we usually use it. That's modern usage, which is not bad. It's just not what the Bible means when you see the word mystery. It is true that this doctrine is difficult and even at some points impossible to understand, but that's not how it's meant here. The biblical writers meant by mystery something that was hidden And is now revealed. Something that was hidden. But is now revealed. The Trinity was hidden. And hinted at in the Old Testament. But it was revealed in the New Testament. In two extraordinary miracles. When God sent his son into the world, the incarnation. And when God sent the Holy Spirit into the world at the day of Pentecost. You say, why those two things? Because the apostolic writings make abundantly clear that Jesus was received as an object of worship. And secondly, because the Holy Spirit was received 
as an object of worship. Well, wait a minute. We've got God, and then uh, he's called the Father. There's somebody called the Father, and he's worshipped as God. He is God, and he's credited with creation and many other things. And then the Son, who is called God and worshipped as God, and he's credited with creation of all things. It's right in the text that we read here in Hebrews. And then there's the Holy Spirit. Who's called God and worshipped as God. And he's credited with creation. How do we make sense of that? Very difficult. It's very difficult. And there are many other things just like creation. Credited to Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we'll get, we'll get to the Spirit in a few moments. But let me set this before you. The theologian, B.B. Warfield, put it this way. The theologian, B.B. Warfield, Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield, put it this way. Quote, the Old Testament may be likened to a chamber richly furnished but dimly lighted. Richly furnished, but dimly lighted. The introduction of light brings into it nothing which was not in it before. But it brings out into clearer view much of what is in it, but was only dimly or even not at all perceived before. This is a brilliant illustration, by the way. The mystery of the Trinity is not revealed in the Old Testament, but the mystery of the Trinity underlies the Old Testament revelation. And here and there almost comes into view. Thus, the Old Testament revelation is not corrected by the fuller revelation which follows it, but only perfected, extended, and enlarged. Close quote. That's an extraordinary, beautiful, and helpful picture. It was there all along, but we didn't have the light to see it. But with the coming of Christ the Son and worshipped as Lord and the coming of the Holy Spirit, we find the apostolic writings filled with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And if you read carefully, you will see them regularly showing up. Sometimes in, in one chapter, Father and Son here, Holy Ghost shows up a little further. And they didn't have any problem writing that. Have you ever noticed? Not one of them says, well, I don't know about this Jesus thing. I mean, he died on the cross, but I, I don't think we can worship him. You need to understand, it's the very issue of Christology, understanding who Jesus is, who Jesus was, is what caused the explosion of the doctrine that we call the Trinity. 
if Jesus, the eternal Son of God, made flesh, the other greatest and most mysterious doctrine in the scriptures, then is worshiping a man, isn't that idolatry? They would rightfully ask that. Wait a minute. We read the Old Testament. We don't find anybody worshiping a man without it being considered blasphemy. And then the Holy Spirit. All of that. We understand why the Jews, even to this day, reject the Christian scriptures. They don't believe this is a a revelation of God. God has said, I, the Lord, thy God, I am one. That's it. So, let's push a little further. The Trinity is truly a new covenant revelation. While it was there all along in the Old Testament, in types, in shadows, we see it in full blossom in the coming of Jesus and in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, our confession says in chapter 2, paragraph 3, in this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences. The Father, the Word, or Son, and the Holy Spirit of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. Well, that's most of us would read that early in the morning and say, uh, don't get that. And there's a reason for it. It's God. It's not your buddy next door. It's God. The almighty, the all-knowing, the all-present God. None of us understands what it means for anyone to be almighty. We can understand strong. We can understand watching some of these guys set world records for lifting a heavier heavier bunch of iron than somebody else. But almighty, we don't know anybody with that. We don't know anybody with all knowledge. We can meet people that know a lot, and they know a lot more than we do, but they don't know everything. There we don't have anything to relate to other than strength. We can understand strength a little, Knowledge, we can understand knowledge a little. Oh, but then all present. And we don't get that. Some of us would get more done if we could be in five places at once. But we can't be in two places at once. God fills a universe that at least, as I said a few weeks ago, according to the kind of measuring we can do right now, is that the... the universe is 93 billion light years across. That's as far as we've been able to compute. 
that no, just that number, which is a, a finite number, goes past any of our minds to deal with. Right? Mm. Well, let's talk about what the confession is getting at. And the confession is built on scriptures. What do the scriptures say about God? What's that revelation about this God? He's extraordinary. He's extraordinary. He's worthy that we should praise Him with every fiber of our being and obey Him with every fiber of our being. Love Him with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's worthy of that. So, first of all, our confession is said in this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences. I want to remind you that we saw last week that a subsistence, a subsistence is a being or thing that has essence. A being or thing that has essence. In other words, a real person, a real thing. If you were to come up to me after the service today and shake my hand, you'd feel a real hand there. If you hug me and say, this guy's damp from preaching. But you'd know it was real substance. You wouldn't be able to put your hand through me. For better or worse, I'm real. And so are you. I'm not looking at a room full of ghosts. I'm looking at real people with essence, substance. We are material. We're material. God is spirit. We don't know what that is. We can't buy a bottle of it. We can't put it under a microscope. We can't x-ray it. We can't put it in for an MRI. We don't know what spirit is. We know that it's immaterial. It's not material. But it's a greater reality than we are. God is the great reality. We're all going to pass out of this world. We're all temporary. Nothing ever has been or ever will be temporary about God. He is infinite spirit. So, why did our confession say three subsistences? There, it's a little different from the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith, which uses persons. Why did our Baptist forebears move this to the word subsistence? Because of the theological war over the word person. Because, as I said last week, when we say person, our mind immediately, immediately goes equal sign people. God is not a people. <laughs> He's not a people. Now, to make that a little more difficult, Jesus Christ became a people. 
It was the eternal son of God who's immaterial, united in a miracle of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary to bring forth Jesus Christ, the God-man. So the eternal, immaterial Son of God became man. Nothing in his godness changed. That's why we call Jesus the God-man. Truly God. Truly human in one person. Oh, we're okay till we get to the one person part. But we're dealing with something as profound as God because he is God. Press on. A subsistence then is a being. We can say person. We can say there are three persons within the Trinity. As long as in our minds we're not saying three peoples. Three people. Not true. God is of a different nature altogether. So there are two real errors on both sides of the truth even though the truth is very difficult for us to grasp even a little. We can. That's why God gave us the word. But it's not the complete revelation of God. That comes when we're with him. I look forward to that day. I hope you do. Well, as I said <clears throat> There are two errors here. One is having three gods. They're not three gods. The Trinity is not three gods. That's a heresy. That's idolatry. And the Jews would have every reason to say, these people are crazy. Three gods in our universe. We know there's just one God because we have his word. And it says, I, the Lord, thy God, I am one. Three gods is not the Trinity. It's heresy. Second, there's the error on the other side. Okay, there's one God, but he can't be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the same time. As I said last week, he's the Father sometimes, and he does something that's attributed to the Father. Then he's the Son and it's attributed to the Son. But when He's the Son, He's not the Father. And then He does things as the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's like God as actor. I'm the Father at certain moments, and now I just switch over. It's still the same being, the same entity, but I've just got a different name. So I'm the Father, and then I do the Son. And then after that, depending on what I need, I'm the Spirit. That's error. It's not what the scriptures teach. You say, but, but it's hard to understand what you're talking about. And I repeat, this is your God. It's hard to understand because you're not God and he is. There's God and everything else is not God. Utterly unique. Utterly worthy of all our praise. If there was somebody like him, well, we might worship him too. But there isn't. Absolutely. The one true and living God. One essence. 
shared among three subsistences. In other words, a being with essence. One called the Father, one called the Son, one called the Holy Spirit. They share all of the essence of Godness. And all are to be the objects of our worship because it's one God in three persons or three subsistences. Say, man, that's deep. It's tougher than that. It's incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible until we are with him. And at least at that point, we'll have a better understanding. You say, well, I want to get to the Jesus part. Let's just get to my salvation. There's no salvation without the Trinity. The Father sent the Son. The Son accomplished salvation because the Father sent him. And the Holy Spirit applies the salvation to us. Jesus could die on the cross and rise again and none of us would be saved because none of us would believe. The Spirit of God opens our hearts, our minds to believe God, to believe his word, to believe that even though my mind cannot fully comprehend this, I can't put it under the microscope, I can't take it to the lab Give me some God so I can understand it a little better. It won't happen because he's God. It's your God. This is the God being spoken about in the text. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. There's two-thirds of the Trinity right there. The Father and the Son. How do we distinguish these beings who are one God, one essence? Well, then we'll push on a little further. God has three subsistences. The distinction between persons, who God is, and essence, what God is, is crucial. If you confuse these things, you'll end up with something other than God. One essence. It boils down to those two things. One essence. Three beings. Not three people. Not three gods. Three beings within the nature. Within the nature of the one God, there are three eternal persons. Three eternal subsistences. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Our confession says, secondly, the whole divine essence of God, the whole divine essence of God, which is spirit, which we don't know how to categorize other than it's God and not everything else, because everything else is creation. There's just one creator, and there's no one like him. So, Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, which means the only true 
worshipers are people born again. What's one of the reasons Jesus told the religious man who was on his way to hell, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You'll never be a follower of Christ as you should be. <clears throat> He's spirit. So, <clears throat> you have to be born again because when you're born again, you'll believe this book. You'll believe things that you cannot put under a microscope, but you'll believe them. You can't see that Jesus is coming back. You have no evidence other than the word of God. And he said, I'm coming back. And when the spirit of God dwells within you, you say, amen, I know he's coming. I can't wait to be with the king and see him in his beauty. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That's why the word of God needs to be preached. You say, well, can't we get off this Trinity thing? It's what the word of God teaches. It's what your God is and what your God does. How can you worship him? You believe his truth. Is that right? Do you believe Isaiah saw him high and lifted up? Why do you believe that? Because the word of God is truth. Do you believe, uh, as Ken Ham is, loves to say, no one was there when, when there was creation. They weren't there. Those who believe in evolution, they weren't there. We that are believers weren't there. Nobody was there that could tell us except God. It was God by the Spirit that inspired the writer. In the beginning, God, God, this God created the heavens and the earth. We get a glimpse of the Trinity because the Spirit of God's just a couple of verses away. But we don't hear about the Son. But later in the uh, progressive revelation of the Bible, we find out that Jesus was part of the creative process. You weren't there. You didn't see it. Why do you believe it? Because either you're fooled, as the atheists like to say, you believe in fairy tales, or you believe the truth that God inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gave the word. The Spirit echoes the word. And we could go on with many things like this. You believe things you weren't there to witness, but you believe it happened in history when people all around deny it. Couldn't possibly be the case. Oh, my brethren, God is great. God is awesome. God is like none other. There's no greater. There's nothing and no one greater than God. Not even a close second. It's all God and not God. And while there's some amazing things in the universe, including just the size of the universe itself. Nothing compares to the one who spoke and there was light. Who spoke and divided the light from the darkness. Who spoke and created the world. Who spoke and hung the stars. We'd like to do that. But we can't. Well, our confession goes on to say, the paragraph continues about the order 
of these three subsistences, these three beings, these three properly understood persons. If it's easier for you to think of it as one essence and three persons, please feel free to do so. Just always make sure there's a little mental footnote there. Person doesn't mean peoples. It's not three people. That's not God. So, it tells us the Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that God, the Father, is unbegotten. And none of us here understand God has no beginning, do we? I remember my mother used to take me to vacation Bible school when I lived in New Orleans as a child. And in our front yard, it was 509 North Sibley, Metri. And I would lie down in my front yard because we'd, we'd have beds of clover that would just grow up. And in the afternoon on one of those hot, sweltering days of summer in New Orleans, I would lie down in that clover and it felt cool. It felt cool. And I would lie there and I would look up at the clouds and I would think of what I'd heard. That I was told in vacation Bible school, God has no beginning and has no end. And I would lie there in that nice cool clover and I would try to think as hard as I could. What does it mean to have no beginning? What, what does that mean? It means God is the uncaused causer. Everything else has a cause. You and I have a cause. I don't mean something that we stump for. I'm talking about existence. The Father is unbegotten. He has no beginning. <clears throat> nothing, nothing made him. Nothing got him started in what he was doing. He always has been. Secondly, the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The word eternally is very important there. When it says God is unbegotten, it tells us that the Son is begotten, but he's begotten eternally. It means he didn't have a beginning either. He's just always been the Son who shares his Father's attributes, all of them. He's God. Not two gods, one God in the essence. Well, that means that the Father's essence has been, is now, always will be the Son's essence. We call this eternal generation, by the way. That's a doctrine that's fallen by the wayside in many theological uh, places of teaching nowadays. The Son has always been begotten of the Father. One of the first heresies to enter the church is that the Son had a beginning. The minute you move there, you've moved out of the revelation of the Word. You say, well, the Word's hard to understand. I know. But the Word of God makes clear one God, one essence, three eternal persons.
I don't know if you have any clover to go lie down in today. It'd be a good thing to think about. Maybe just on a good, comfortable bed, but you won't be awake long. The confession goes on to say <clears throat> that uh, when the, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. <sighs> what? Now, all of these things, all you have to do is look at your confession and, and you can track out every one of the passages from which this comes. This is revelation. It's not some theology that people made up. That's what it regularly gets accused of, especially by the cults, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, like the Mormons, like the New Age movement. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means Jesus said, when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father. Ah, oh, there it is. He proceeds. He proceeds from the Father. And he does from the Son. There are other passages. What, what happens when he comes? He'll testify of Jesus. If you ever believe on Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit the third subsistence, the third being, the third person of the Holy Trinity opened your heart. That's called grace. Amazing grace. Why should he open my heart? Why didn't he leave me to be destroyed? Grace. It's got a purpose. So, the, so <clears throat> what do we have? We have three persons. We have an order. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. And the Spirit is not the Son. And it's not a game. It is what the Scriptures tell us. The Father is unbegotten. The Son, because He's a Son. Father, Son. What does that mean? Someone who comes from another. If we have any sons here, you understand that. Now, it's not like human sons and fathers and sons. <clears throat> But that's the idea. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is unbegotten. The Son is eternally begotten. And the Spirit is eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. The Father did not die on Calvary. The Son was not poured out on the day of Pentecost. And we can go through it. There's an order. They are three distinct beings sharing one nature. You can understand why the cults immediately started blossoming when, when the apostolic writings appeared. Now the confession goes on to say, all infinite Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar, that means pertaining only to God, not oddball, several things that pertain only to God, relative properties and personal relations. In other words, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the, Father, uh, not the, the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, etc., Mark Jones is very, very helpful here. In his book, God Is, it's a wonderful, 
it's a wonderful introduction to the attributes of God. And, and some of you might uh, enjoy using it for family worship, <clears throat> especially if your children are growing a little bit. Uh, five-year-olds aren't going to glom onto this. <clears throat> the confession goes on to say, or not the confession, sorry, Mark Jones goes on to say, he defines the Trinity this way. Quote, in the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But God is one. And this one God is Father, Son, and Spirit. We cannot deny this doctrine of the Trinity. We must hold to the unity of the divine essence. That's, that is the key. What Spirit is, we don't know. It's immaterial. But we know that within the nature of that one glorious spirit, there are three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Purposeful repetition. Not three gods. Not one god playing three roles. Three persons in one essence. Jones goes on to say we must hold the unity of the divine essence, that is, God's whatness or being, as well as the distinction of persons. I repeat to you, so why do we believe this? Because it's the revelation of God in the word of God. And it's what his people have believed from the very time of Pentecost. Why? Because everyone born again had the Spirit who gave the Scriptures. And that's why we believe the Revelation. Now, that cannot be. Who is messing with my clock? Okay, I'm only going to... I'm going to stop right there. Sorry, part six next week. You say, well, I'm not sure I'm edified yet. Well, first of all, I surely want everyone to be edified. But what I want to say to you is, this is who you worship. Why wouldn't you be edified? This is who you worship. Or you should. Maybe when you come and sing, holy, 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 it's just because you've been singing it since you were 12. Instead of realizing Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The revelation of the God who made me. The God who saved me. I praise Him for who and what He is. You are God. I am not. There's God and everything else. And I'm just in the everything else. And so are you. Let's be clear, right? Everybody ready to have a real moment of real truth and realization? How comfortable would you be for God to be like you? How'd you do last week? Were you perfect? Did you keep everything together? Everything in your house just run as smooth as it could possibly be. Everybody was as joyful and happy as there could be. No crosswords, no weird looks, none of that stuff. I mean, everything was perfect. 
In fact, everybody in your neighborhood was coming to your house and fucking and saying, you're perfect, your house is perfect, how do you do it? Did that happen? Um, children, how'd you do with mom and dad last week? How'd you do with your siblings last week? What would it be like if you were running the universe? Oh, there'd be some things that would be different, right? If I were God, I would, you don't even know how to say that. You can, but you'd never be able to say it with any truth because you don't know all things. You'd have to know everything for it to be right. Right? About the problems in your house. Were you able to look at it and figure out which child was lying? Get real. God is God. Everything in God is God. And everything else is creation. God made it. And it brings him glory when we see it. Well, take just a couple of more minutes because I do want to get to that part. We'll... God willing, I will finish next week. But our salvation rests on this trinity. That's what I've been working up to, and that's what I want you to be thinking about. This trinity is why you are a Christian if you are. It's why your salvation, my salvation rests, listen carefully, on God the Father who purposed our salvation and sent his son into this world to be a man who could die. God only in his infinite genius determined how he could save wicked criminals against his holiness. He did it by sending his son to become a man to keep the laws that we never kept. And he kept them perfectly. He did it perfectly. Everything he did, everything that he said, he said, whatever my father tells me, that's what I say. How's that for honoring your father? He was perfect. And then the Holy Spirit came and opened your heart. God sent his spirit to find you in your cesspool, in your vomit, in your blood. And said, live. And that's why you lived. That's why you repented of your sins. You saw what you were. And you knew that if what you saw was really true. And God really knew you that way. He had every right to damn you. And to cast you into hell for eternity. And you said, but I hear. I hear good news. Your son came into this world. He died for people like me. That's what I've been told. And you believed. Not because you were brilliant. But because God showed you what you were. And because he showed you that he would save you. By faith in his son. Everything about salvation. And Everything about the Christian life is Trinitarian. 
You can't live without this God. The Father who purposed, the Son who accomplished, the Holy Spirit who applies. And while it is difficult for our darkened minds, while it's difficult for our darkened minds to understand that God, He shines forth page after page after page after page after chapter in the Word of God. So, I will introduce, I've just introduced most of next week, but the Christian life is communion with the Trinity. It's all through the Scriptures. Fellowship with the Father. Fellowship with the Son. And fellowship with the Holy Ghost. In fact, you can't fellowship with the Father and the Son without the Holy Ghost. You can't pray as you ought without the Holy Ghost. You can be religious, just like religions all over the planet that talk to their gods who don't exist. It's demons behind the golden statues just fooling more people. Friends, this is a great and glorious God. The God of amazing grace. Come to Him. He has set Himself before you in very short order here this morning. You said, well, I don't, man, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't understand half of what you were saying. Here's what I would recommend. Take the word of God and pray and read it and look for all these places where in Scripture men thousands of years ago prayed, wrestled, argued with each other. Theological debates took place for hundreds of years. It was the the, the fourth and fifth centuries before all of Genesis to Revelation had been gone over in order to understand God. What you hear in our confession is what churches have confessed for millennia. 2,000 years. 2,000 years. So brethren, who do you confess? Who's your God? Who do you worship? Who are you trusting your life to? Who are you trusting your soul to? Do you know this God? You say, you've been asking that every one of these things. I'm going to keep doing that. Until each of us says, I've looked in these scriptures. That's the God. When Hebrews begins with God, who at sundry times, that's the God I know. That's the God that's going to unfold. Father, Son, and Spirit, chapter after chapter of Hebrews, that God. He's given all the credit for our salvation. And that's who you need to know in dark days, in perilous times like our own. He's the one who is our strength. He is our salvation. Well, brethren, let's stop. Father, thy holy word is astounding. We're amazed at who and what it is, what is set before us in these pages. And Father, the more we read it, the bigger you get and the littler we get. And we realize thou art God and we are not. And then we can trust our immortal souls to thee. Now, Father, <clears throat> the rest of this will be much more clear to us 
as we talk about our salvation and as we talk about daily communion with thee. Help us. Help us to do that. We love thee, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray all of this, that Christ would be exalted, that his people would rejoice in a God who has all power, all knowledge, and is all present. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.